0: The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network, and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the Enterprise episode, Detained. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Howdy, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hey, Father Corey. How's it going? Folks, be sure to follow The Secrets of Star Trek, whether it's an Apple podcast or Google podcast or Spotify. Tune in in your favorite podcast app or watch us on our YouTube channel at uh, youtube.com slash StarQuest Media. We should also make sure to like, subscribe, and hit the bell to get notifications. And another show on the StarQuest network you're sure to enjoy is PlayStation Portable. You can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash psp. So, we're talking about detained, and Jimmy, can you give us a recap of what happens?
1: Before this week's episode starts, Archer and Mayweather were piloting a shuttle pod that got shot down. As the episode begins, they awaken in a detention camp filled with Sulaban. The Sulaban are being held captive by a race called the Tandarans, who are at war with the genetically modified group of Sulaban known as the Cabal. But the Sulaban in the camp Aren't genetically modified, so we have an episode about racism and wartime with overtones of Jewish and Japanese confinement during World War II. The leader of the prison camp is Dean Stockwell, who wants to know how Sam leapt all the way out to this distant planet (laughs) and who is telling us that the gods aren't real and that we need to be the most perfect machines we can be. He is initially helpful to Archer, but he learns that Archer has information about the Cabal and the Temporal Cold War. And Archer won't give it to him. So Dean Stockwell starts to turn nasty. In the end, with the help of the Enterprise, Archer enacts a jailbreak and allows the captive Suliban to escape and flee Tendar in space. The end.
2: All right, Father Corey, uh, your overall impression? I remember I, this is one of the few episodes of Enterprise, at uh, least season one, that I remember when it first came out. And it was very much uh, looked forward to because, of course, this was the reunion of Dean Stockwell and uh, Scott Bakula. You know, after quantum leap had been canceled, how many more years earlier, about a decade earlier, I think, if I remember yeah, correctly, something like that. you know, and it was, so this was really, you know, people were looking forward to this reunion that we get to see the two of them together. And it's an okay episode. It's like, like, like Jimmy said in, in the summary, it's basically, let's take the Japanese internment camps and uh, let's put them in the, in space. It was good, you know. It's good because they developed the Suleiman that they aren't just all the cabal, they aren't just all the the, uh, the genetically manipulated evil people, but they're actually you know normal, normal beings, normal people that have you know like families and so on, and just want to go about their lives. Uh, so that that was good, but otherwise, it was just kind of a episode. At least at least Trip wasn't arguing against uh, to Paul the whole, half the episode like some episodes where she's in charge. <laughs>
0: Yes. How about you, Jimmy? What's your overall impression of this one? It was okay.
1: Um, I never watched a huge amount of Quantum Leap, so for me, I I completely did not remember this episode from um, from first season Enterprise from when it was on the air. For me, Dean, even though I know about Dean Stockwell's part in Quantum Leap, where he's kind of the sidekick of Mm -hmm. uh, and government liaison of Scott Bakula's main character. For me, the definitive role for Dean Stockwell is as the number one Cylon right. in Ronald Moore's re Battlestar Galactica, who is amazingly peppery. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, he is okay in this. It's 1990 Star Trek writing. It's not great. It's basically, let's tell a parable about Japanese internment in World War II and slap a fantasy, although less violent, Um, um did kill Bill. Quentin Tarantino.
0: Tarantino, right, right, right.
1: Yeah, Quentin Tarantino has the has has a tendency to make movies with fantasy endings. So like if you watch um if you watch I don't have to say a word, but if you watch Inglorious Bastards, it's a World War Two film where it's just got a fantasy ending where all the Nazis die violently. And if right. you if you watch um, if you watch once upon a time in Hollywood, it's got a fantasy ending where the Manson family gets the snot kicked out of them. Mm-hmm. And I, ha- I, I can appreciate those endings. It, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's fun to watch all of the Nazi leadership die. It's fun to watch the Manson family get the snot kicked out of them. But this is basically a, let's do a Japanese internment parable with a
0: less violent, um, Quentin Tarantino ending on it. Mm. So like like you Jimmy I I didn't remember this episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it made very little impression on me the first time I watched it I guess. Uh or I didn't see it, I don't know. Uh like cuz starting it I did I don't remember this at all. Um I I was excited to see Dean Stockwell. Uh I didn't read any of the descriptions, so seeing Al on screen right there the, mm-hmm. for the in that was it was like watching it for the first time two, 20 years ago. So uh that's that was great and uh, I always love Dean Stockwell's characters. I don't know there's a certain type he plays and knowing you know so obviously stunt casting because of Bacula and and they are pairing um yep. those two really made an impression on audiences and I can see that uh the why they would cast it that way. But um uh, you know you it's it's a classic Star Trek moral tale, you know, of uh, the lessons of humans have learned that we're now uh, spreading to other races in the galaxy to, you know, help them become better. Like we are. Um, It's it's the, uh, the Star Trek high horse is kind of what it is. And it's, it's kind of paid by the numbers. Although I agree with father Corey, I like the making the Suluban more than just the bad guys and gives them the, the race, some depth.
1: So that's our episode for this week's, folks. Yeah. <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed it, and come back next week. We're going to be yeah. talking about Return of the Archons.
2: Yeah. yeah. Well, there's there's some more things we could say. Um, mm-hmm. I do like that that uh, Merriweather actually got like a role here. Like, yeah. He actually got yeah. to do something other than sit at that console and punch buttons.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I liked that, Dean. I liked two things in particular about this episode. One of them is I like Dean Stockwell's um, is written so that he initially does comes across as supportive you mm-hmm. know he's he's got limits he's he's if he's you know he's bound by he can't just release you know these prisoners there needs to be a judicial hearing first but he tells them i'm i'm going to support you in the j- judicial hearing and we'll get you out of here in just a few days and and his of course you know he's going to go nasty because it's Dean Stockwell, <laughs> but they have a transition that's fairly reasonable, and he he comes across as supportive. He's limited. He's bound by what, in terms of what he can do, but within that framework, he's trying to help them. And and he's not a mustache twirling villain from the beginning. He eventually becomes one, but I like that he's not one from the beginning. I also like the Suleban and getting to know the Sulaban in this. And they're not they're also not just villains in this. So they're mm-hmm. trying for some degree of complexity. And even like when um, Dean Stockwell is his name is Colonel Gratt Gratt, mm-hmm. but um, I'm just thinking of him as Dean Stockwell <laughs> when he's trying to when he's talking to Archer about the detainment of the Suleban, he's 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 trying to think things through, and he's justifying them, their their confinement, in a way that is not simply, these are Jews that need to be exterminated for the good of mankind. You know, it's, he's not yeah. using a Nazi rationale. He What he doesn't do is clearly come out and say that we suspect infiltrators, which was the rationale for uh, confining that was the primary rationale for confining Japanese people in America in World War II, mm-hmm. and I, I think he could have hit that. I mean, if you're going to do that as a parable, you may as well use the actual rationales. But they're trying to do a little more than that. He he also says when the the cabal attacked us, you know, all these people died. It was I, it was like a 11 like event. And there were backlashes, which actually we didn't have in America, um, where innocent Sullivan were targeted and and that there's still so much feeling on this subject that it's not safe out there for them. They're confined for their own protection, which is at least trying to be creative in terms of why you're running detention camps. Mm -hmm.
0: We We should probably also think about the context in which this episode aired in 2002, which was right, right. after nine mm-hmm. eleven and yep. so that it would have it touched on feelings about you know Muslims and Islam and you know nine eleven and all that sort of stuff that might have been also playing a part in how this would have been received at the time and uh, why it was written and that sort of thing so i could I could see that uh as well um yeah, I did like the way grat was was written and played in this because he does have this gradual change and movement throughout and frankly rat comes across as as you said as reasonable he's harsh but fair you know and you know Mm -hmm. uh you know my hands are tied we're in this difficult i can imagine in a different you know show this same thing like an american military officer and like a foreign Mm -hmm. air crew who are who had you know wandered into our airspace in a military zone like area 51 and being detained and well you know don't worry you know it's just bureaucracy we'll we'll sort it all out and all that reasonableness and when the aim is is really he's going to, he wants to pump them for information and hold their release right. as as, as uh, a carrot and even that develops because initially
1: he's he is just supportive he doesn't yet know about mm-hmm. oh you were at this broken bow incident and and you 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 know about the temporal cold war he reads up on archer yeah as the episode progresses how did he and have all that information
0: yeah go ahead sorry
1: yeah and it's it's that that causes his turn right yeah because he, he suspects was, archer is going to be more useful to
2: him than he initially realized he, he got all that information from the shuttlecraft you know the shuttlecraft crashed and he was they were able to get the database <laughs> yeah you know because you know they, they and it's normal course like the the enterprise's computers are backed up in the shuttlecraft so you know they can yeah. re, you know do that you know cuz you got to have offline reading you can't always have internet when you're <laughs> right, off, right. You know, crashing on a planet
0: seems like a bad idea to put all your classified information on a shuttlecraft but uh yeah don't do that <laughs> um, a lot of
1: this may not have been classified on earth that's true you know the events of i assume the events of the series pilot were fairly well known on earth
0: Right. But then it was like that mission to the early on, you know, the mission to that planet where the, the temporal Cold the super-
1: War should that shouldn't be mentioned in the shuttlecraft files. Right.
0: Well,
2: yeah, this is this yeah. is all stuff that was being basically live to, on the oh, Enterprise. This wasn't like they were getting it from the, the Starfleet database.
0: Well, in fact, Grad does say at one point, are, we had people there who
2: saw you there. Like, mm-hmm, so yeah, you know, one place. Yeah. Th-
0: so the Tendarans were clearly. Familiar with these places and these events, and the the, but didn't know Earth because I guess Earth is still a backwater. Mm-hmm. Maybe no Vulcans, I would assume. But well, um, and
1: they were on Rigel, which is apparently yeah, a big trading hub.
2: Yeah, right. Yeah,
0: and they knew Klingons.
2: You know, because they talked about, <laughs> right. oh yeah, you you took the Klingon to the Klingon homeworld, right, you know, right? Klingon for some or Klingon was involved for some reason or something along <laughs> line like that. Yeah. Incidentally, by the way, I now live once again near Broken Bow, Oklahoma.
0: <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> and um i think we probably talked about it but like broken bow is a military term for uh a, a downed nuclear that's, weapon no,
1: that's a broken arrow broken
0: oh a broken arrow right 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 okay yeah i probably made the same mistake when we talked about broken bow <laughs> um you know one of the things that kind of bugs me about this especially the, this early enterprise is trips open hostility racism and insubordination against Topal. Mm-hmm. Like when Topal suggests maybe we should, you know, call Vulcan High command and get a uh, a Vulcan arbitrator or Vulcan lawyer out here to help Archer and Mayweather, he's like, "Ugh, not the Vulcans." You know, it's just like, uh, "Dude, <laughs> it's not okay, number 1 that's not racism.
1: That's he's not objecting to them on genetic grounds." He finds their culture annoying, and it's with justification because mm-hmm. humans have perceived Vulcans as hampering their development for decades.
0: Yeah, uh, it's the insubordinate part of it that yeah. really bugs me. Like well, when,
2: yeah, that's that's where I commented about how he doesn't spend half the episode arguing, but he does spend about a quarter of the episode <laughs> arguing with her. He just doesn't get as bad as as he did. Well, before like and when, he's actually and he is more respectful than he had been in previous episodes where he's like well we've got the location what do you think about going and checking this out and she agrees he
0: doesn't just outright accuse her of wanting to hang them out to dry or
2: or give orders to the navigator like immediately
0: you know the uh the, the one thing that really kind of stuck out to me was the uh when grat was on screen and to paul's trying to talk to him and trip is just like jumping in and saying stuff like dude mm-hmm. <laughs> She's the captain, right? She's the acting captain right now. You need to. So I wonder about that
1: because I was under the impression and this could be a false memory, but I was under the impression that actually, at least before T'Pol arrived, Trip was the second in command. And I remember I I remember thinking Mm -hmm. that 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 was an interesting aspect of this show that, oh, at the beginning of Warped Flight Ships, the engineer would be more important than the science officer. Right. And so um so I think I think the relationship and given that T'Pol is not a member of Starfleet I think the command structure is a little ambiguous
2: at least it is for me although that may that may be based on false memories. Right. And and more often than not she would get the chair when Archer was off the ship instead right. of Trip.
0: Mm-hmm. Despite their their internal claims that we're not a military organization they still have ranks and I just mm-hmm. feel like yeah. I mean, they go, they play loose goosey with that all the time. So it's it's it, well, it, it all the way back in yeah. Star Trek history. So it, 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 it was kind of like trip, you know, just calm down and don't ruin things. It didn't, like you said, Father Corey, it wasn't as bad as other, other times, but it just, it kind of stuck out to me.
1: I loved the bit in the, when they're implementing the plan and they don't really show us how this plan came together. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they eventually get a communicator down, they beam a communicator down to Archer and Mayweather. So they've had some contact. They've learned that Archer's plan is not to just be beamed up, but to do this jailbreak. Mm-hmm. And then somehow off screen, they arrange for this jailbreak plan. And it's they implement it kind of like Mission Impossible. One of the things that happens in Mission Impossible is you may be given a little sketch of what's supposed to happen. But if you watch old Mission Impossible episodes, TV episodes, not the movies, mm-hmm. they start putting their plan into effect and you have to watch because yep. they're not talking as they're putting their plan into effect. And so it's a very visual television program. They don't just summarize everything for you in dialogue. You have to to figure out the plan. You have to watch them put it into action. And they give us that experience here. So there's like a great bit where they're stalling so that hoshi or someone can download you know can can do something without them detecting it and they're basically jamming up their files by we're going to download our big database now to you so you can learn more <laughs> about us and really they're they're clogging their computer system it's effectively a denial of service attack
2: yep mm, exactly and,
1: and but i love how easily to paul lies to <laughs> to to dean stockwell it's like i'd like to arrange for you to come on board the enterprise and we can we can serve you a dinner in your honor do you happen to be vegetarian or are you a meat eater you
0: know (laughs) and she's just
1: totally lying to him to cover this denial of service attack
2: well she's so polite through it too and oh so (laughs) kind and oh yes we want to we want to make you overcome this difficulty and and it's like oh by the way i'm like jamming up your comm signal sorry yeah.
1: <laughs> there, there her acting changes she mm-hmm. is much less officious vulcan in mm-hmm. that she injects i forget the actress's name but she she injects elements of kindness yep. into her performance in that speech
0: yeah yeah, yeah. so let's talk about the uh, the Suluban that we see in this episode you know i i mentioned before we're humanizing the enemy so far the sulaban have always been and only been this implacable enemy in the temporal cold war and every time we see them it's a bad thing and now we've got these sulaban who it turns out that they're they're just regular joe they're mm-hmm. they're folk mm-hmm. you know and you know families and we get to know two of them by the way, the two actors who play the two main speaking sulaban also played Vorta in DS9, which is, uh, mm-hmm. they both, so I, I knew they, at least one of them looked familiar, Sajin. They were um, a lot less slimy in this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did not like the, the makeup that they did for the sulaban It looked kind of, mm-hmm. it looked almost obviously like like makeup, like, especially around the eyes. It did. Yeah. And I liked though, that they got, um, the security guy, Malcolm
1: into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and, and he almost got clocked by Mayweather for his <laughs> for his troubles. And uh, so th- there is like these 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 uh, nice moments. One of them was how like um, it's not Sajin, it was the other the other one, Denik? Denik. He reveals, "Oh yeah, this guy Clev, one of the guards. Yeah, he was my neighbor back home. You know, we mm-hmm. were friends. We grew mm-hmm. up in the same town. And, and it's that that is I thought it was effective because it, it that is." Uh, the sort of thing that really happened in germany Mm -hmm. and in the internment camps like people knew each other
1: i liked the fact that and i don't know that they explained this before on the show but the sulaban homeworld became uninhabitable 300 years ago and so they're living in a diaspora Mm -hmm. this is effective this is one of the jewish elements you know they don't have their own country anymore so they're living in other people's countries and Mm -hmm. they're integrated into the population but then nazis happen and all of a sudden they're in internment camps yep
0: yeah yeah so um yeah i I thought that was a a, somewhat effective and you mentioned um grat in his motivations and how he early on you know it's for their own protection at the end he kind of tells what he sees as the real truth which is you know the the Suleban they don't have rights. You know, despite what you're trying to do, Archer, they don't have rights. It's right. not really about their protection. It's my assumption, our assumption, that Tendarns, that all Suleban are all alike, and they're just potential recruits for an army right. to attack us.
1: And I think they went too far in mm-hmm. making him a villain because if he, I think they should have. I mean, it's okay to acknowledge we think they're a potential danger. But having him lean as hard into, they're all just going to get turned into, into, right. into a enemy agents. Is that was going too far? They made him too much of a mustache
2: twirler at the end. Mm. And and it starts with a legitimate concern that the the Sulayman, um would, or that yeah, that the bad guys would capture the, these these innocent Suleiman and do the genetic manipulation and turn them to their cause. I mean, that's that's a legitimate concern. Um, But in the same time, that's not to say all of them would do that, you know, and some would fight against them. Some would be able to escape because that's that's what they're planning to do is escape to another colony somewhere else that they could they could get help and and maybe, you know, get their lives back in order, things like that.
0: It's one of the elements that kind of recalls that. Islamic aspect, you know, the Muslim uh, people mm-hmm. in America after nine eleven, which was the, the the concerns some people had. They thought, well, all Muslim people living in America are potential radicalization away from becoming terrorists, and you know that sort of thing. It was it wasn't necessarily as widespread a thought as some people might have claimed it was, but there were elements of that in in, in the mm-hmm. area, and there so there was a, there was a lot of pearl
1: clutching about. People being afraid Americans were going to overreact. Yes. And, right. Some of our you can argue some of our leaders did, but um, mm-hmm. ordinary Americans, they didn't start lynching Muslims.
0: Right. You know. Exactly. Um, in fact, when you look at it very often, these sorts of things start by government action like Manzanar and the Japanese internment mm-hmm. camps and that yep. sort of thing. Uh, that's where the, th- the real problem came from.
1: I think part of the problem with the portrayal of Dean Stockwell in this comes across I mean, part of it is they want to have, they want to have him be supportive in the beginning because they want the reunion aspect of right. Dean Stockwell and and Scott Bakula. But on another level, they're trying to fuse these Japanese and and Jewish elements in the show. And whatever you think about Japanese internment here in America, it was not the same as the Nazi death camps. <laughs> and so there, you kind of got to pick. Do you want Dean Stockwell to be like an American who interred Japanese people but didn't want to mistreat them? Or do you want him to be a Nazi who thinks they're, they're, they ha- simply have no rights? And they're trying to blend those two, and it's, and, and I don't think it's an effective blend.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, one of the interesting aspects is they tried the Sulliban themselves are not perfect. Um, mm-hmm. Seijin, yep. this one character, he, Mayweather kind of points out. He's the host
1: out, of Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> yeah.
0: Pat Seijin, the Suleiman. Yeah. Uh, Makes the same assumptions about human beings being no different than the Tandarans based on appearances, right? That the Tandarans make about him and the Cabal. And this is something I really like. So if you
1: haven't seen this episode, humans and Tandarans basically look the same. The 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 Tandarans have a little kind of Nose-ling. nose wrinkle at the top of their <laughs> nose. Um, it's, it's even more subdued than Bajoran nose wrinkles. Right. But they... Okay, so they'd have to design their glasses, nose bridges a little differently, but that's it. <laughs> and and so the Suluban, some of them are looking at humans as you're probably just in league with the Tandarans. You even look like them. Mm-hmm. And and there's an element there where it's like, okay, well, they do look similar. You know, if you were a human in that situation, the, the Suluban have always been your enemies thus far and you even look like the people who are holding them captive and who are being supportive of you, there might be a little appearance bonding there. Mm -hmm. But that's not determinative of your actions as an enlightened human. And there's a great bit, and I love the fact that they give Mayweather these lines, Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, with being an African-American actor and an African-American heritage character, you know, his own people have faced persecution and racism in the past and having there's a scene where he's talking to, to Sajin and Sajin is accusing them of perhaps being in league. And, and now evidence is emerging that we're not in league with them because he's just uh, Mayweather has just been beaten up for having a communicator. And. And Mayweather says, effectively, why didn't you ask? Why didn't you even think to ask us for help? Is it maybe because we're not Sulaban, Because we look too much like the Tendorins? Mm-hmm. And it's like, ah, that's d- dramatically interesting dialogue yeah. there.
0: Right, right. Mayweather says, admits, when I first came here, I had a difficult time overcoming my pre- preconceived notions about the Sulaban, but I did. So why mm-hmm. don't you? <laughs> and yeah, that was that was an effective scene, and that. you know, eventually inspires Sajin to take action later on to, to show that he has changed his mind, uh, which was, which I thought that was effective. So, um, I, one, one other note is, uh, Archer again, makes another exception to his rule about not interfering in civilizations. But (laughs) as we know, the prime directive is, is a moral, uh, uh, it, it, it's, they use it too uh, too often to hide behind uh, from the moral things that they need to do. Uh, but let's put it that way. Um, you sometimes some things demand that you take action. Uh, I actually have a a a, a so I
1: haven't I have an interrogation for this episode in terms of the morality of what Archer does. Mm-hmm. Um, you are not at war with the Tandorans. Mm-hmm. They are not. These are not death camps. They are detention camps. And we don't know how long they're going to be in these detention camps. It might be their entire lives. It might not be. But there, there are dozens of these. We know that because they're in Camp Twenty Six.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And even the main guys, the main Suleban uh, Danik, has a wife in another camp. And you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna break one of these camps out mm-hmm. and let them escape via shuttles or spaceships in this hangar and flee sulaban space now why would danik want to do that if his wife's in another camp well they give us a reason for that they don't point it out explicitly but he's also got a daughter mm-hmm, who's right. with him and i can see saying okay i've got our daughter i need to get her to safety that takes priority over waiting in a camp in hopes i'll someday be reunited with my wife okay at least that's that's not the choice everybody would make, but it has some defensibility to it. But you're breaking these people out of this camp when they're not presently under threat of life. You've got to think about what's the—I mean, you're not going to save everybody. You're not liberating every camp. You're liberating this one, and it's from people you are not at war with. You could start a war between the Federation and the Tandaran. The Tandaran. Um, number one. Number two, you could make this much worse for the other Suleban in, um, the other camps because now there are Suleban free in Tendar and space and it could set off a new wave of paranoia and we've got to crack down and we've got to make sure that this isn't going to happen in any other camps. Um, You know, we got to find a solution. We got to we got to really make things worse in those camps, so this can't happen anywhere else. We might even need a final solution in the other camps. Mm -hmm. And this was one of the problems in World War II in Europe with the Jewish situation. You had people who did speak out against what the Nazis were doing, and it made it worse for Jewish people. And so, if you're genuinely playing on the on the Jewish side of this where they just have no rights and that's what the leadership believes you break a bunch of people out from a stable situation that's even if it's not pleasant right now you could provoke something much worse for everybody else but they don't they don't want to do that on Battlestar Galactica they would do that level of moral interrogation (laughs) Yeah. yeah but this is happy clappy Star Trek where we need pure heroes who always win. And so um, they don't don't do any of that. Yeah.
0: I think it would have been interesting if they had written this where the Suleban all say, we don't want to go and Archer and Mayweather go. And we have an unsatisfying ending where Mm -hmm. our, our characters are safe and they leave behind these people who have chosen to stay behind for those very reasons. I thought that Mm -hmm. I think that would have might've been a better, uh, episode
1: or or a few of them want to go because usually yeah. groups don't all have the same opinion yeah. and they could have left Dean Stockwell in a more morally ambiguous position than where they left him.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that would have been an interesting. That's a that's sort of a DS nine style ending. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, than than uh, Enterprise. Um, uh, this is an Enterprise first season problem. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Enterprise got better, but yeah, yeah, it, the the yeah, this is the. We have to end in a happy clappy. So, is the episode too preachy? Do you think is it too much of a message show?
2: Yeah, not I mean, as bad as some. Not we as might. bad
1: as Chris Chibnall or a Doctor Who
2: <laughs> or Discovery or Discovery. <laughs> right. Yeah, right.
0: uh, it was. But that, that that's bad. kind of a
2: low bar, admittedly. <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, it's it's obviously a preachy message. So, I mean, it's obviously got a, message a moral show. message. Yeah. yeah, it's a I, message I, show.
2: I think for a message episode, this is better done than some even in enterprise yeah, but it's yeah. still not great
0: yeah
1: um and uh, contributing to it's not greatness is the line polarize the whole plating <laughs> because we're always polarizing we're it. always doing that it's like guys come on you gave them the transporter you've got this of the magical technology of the future you've got subspace radio you've got the transporter you've got force fields got All you, cannons
0: now. You've,
1: <laughs> You've got phase cannons, which are the equivalent of photon torpedoes. You've got phase pistols, which are the equivalent of phasers. You've got a, 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 you've got the transporter. You have grappling hooks instead of tractor beams, and you've got polarizing your hull plating instead of shields up. Yeah, and and it's like you're not really giving me a sense of we're living in a different and earlier time. You've just changed the
2: vocabulary, right? Right. I actually wrote down when she, when she said that. It, I said polarized hull plating equals discount shields. Yeah. <laughs> discount shields, and that's what it is. That's all. All it is. <laughs> of course, it helps too that this you know this race is basically technologically equivalent, or maybe even a little under mm-hmm. where Earth is, because right. because their yeah. their uh their torpedoes pretty much uh, take out the the attack ships, and the attack or, ships or- really don't do any damage to Enterprise. So right, yeah.
0: The patrol craft were probably like shuttles, equivalent of Enterprise shuttles, yeah.
1: And the thing is, you don't need all of this magical Star Trek technology in order to tell TV science fiction. They don't have shields on Babylon 5. They mm. don't have shields on Battlestar Galactica. They don't have tractor beams on Battlestar Galactica. The, yep. You can tell wonderful TV science fiction without loading it up with all this magic.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yep. That would that would be interesting if they just we have a hull, we get shots in it. We have to fix the the, the hull every once in a while. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. Battlestar
2: Galactica literally got hit by nukes, yeah, by right. nuclear missiles. I mean, and it so. showed over the years. Showed, yeah, yeah. And they shot actual like projectile weapons, things yep. like that. So, so uh, anything else to say about this episode, Father Corey? Now there was one, oops. That trip got left on the planet, so he flew the shuttlecraft down to pick up Archer and Mary Mayweather and uh, Malcolm. He wasn't on the shuttle going back.
0: Uh huh.
2: It was just the three of them. So right. obviously, you can. Oh yeah, they beamed him back up and all that. Which that, that is one <laughs> thing I always did like about Enterprise is the transporter wasn't the magic get the get people out of trouble device right. that it became later, especially in TNG and. Because so maybe on. you're murdering them. Yeah, exactly. Right. But yeah, that was just—I I, kind of laughed. The last scene shows them flying back to the ship, and it's like, "Where's Trip?"
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know what they should have done in early in season one of Enterprise is they should have—they should have done a beginning of Star Trek the Motion Picture transporter accident. Hmm. They should have, I mean, they have Captain Archer use it in an emergency situation in the pilot. Right. Very quickly thereafter, they should yep. have shown someone get turned inside out. Well, they, and, and if they had done that, it would have added so much weight going forward in the series to the decision, do we use this or not?
2: Well, they, they did have the one where they're on the planet where the storm moves in and there's the leaves blowing and the guy beams up and the leaves have like embedded into his skin. But that wasn't but, like a death. It was yeah. still a, but I mean, it, so I I could see that kind of being that maybe not quite to the same level, but similar. I, I, I would have done a major Kowalski with it. I would have <laughs> on Stargate
1: where you have yep. this character he's introduced as a main character right at the beginning and then horrible fate. Right. And I would have had one of our major characters from the pilot get turned inside out in episode three or something like that. I mean, like
2: the, the pig, pig being the, on the a pig lizard crest? is the, like yeah. the pig lizard. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: we could get into a whole discussion of who we wish would have was beamed inside out from the from the main cast (laughs) and i i would have i i i I wouldn't have
1: applied any special circumstances to it because on that planet you mentioned where the leaves get embedded in the guy there was like a storm or something i would Mm -hmm. have it be routine Mm. right and he gets turned inside out and it's like okay this is not yet ready for prime time we really better only use this in emergencies and we're going to think about it really carefully before we do.
2: Right. We right. Do like the, the the fly, you know, where a guy gets turned into a giant fly because <laughs> of the transporter. Oh, wait, I think they've done stories like that, too.
0: Yeah, they have. Two, two Vicks.
2: Two Vicks. Yep.
0: <laughs> all right. Uh, Jimmy, do you have anything else that uh, you no, want to know? This
1: is a pretty basic episode. Yeah.
0: Well, one thing I, d- I didn't mention was um, w- the interesting. We all, we don't know the fate of Trip. We, although we do but we also don't know the fate of Sajin and Danik like the last we see is Sajin going back to get Danik but we never see or hear about them again unless they, they follow it? up which they never did
1: we can infer nope. they got away
0: yeah yep. yeah but that's, that was an interesting omission all right, so that does it for us this time. We'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create The Secrets of Star Trek, including Christopher K., Ira R., Tim W., Janelyn M., and Alex G. Their generous donations at sqpn.com give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com give. So that's it from us. What did you think of Detained? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash Trek, or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash StarQuestMedia, or send an email to trek at sqpn.com, or visit our Discord community at sqpn.com slash Discord. You can watch The Secrets of Star Trek on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash StarQuestMedia, and leave a comment, like, and subscribe. And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the original series episode, The Return of the Archons. Until Are then. Are they back again? They- they're <laughs> always like a bad penny. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Don. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank
1: you. And I may order Indian food tonight. I may have some Tandari chicken. so <laughs> uh, If you're ever hosting a banquet in my honor, I'm not a vegetarian.
0: <laughs> live, long, live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, oh boy.